And would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, this week we turn our attention to another bumper sticker scripture, one of those often used, often quoted verses, and I am betting that each and every one of us here has at some point in our life used this verse or a quote or a paraphrase of it. In um, the King James Version, it says, judge not that ye not be judged. In the New Living Translation, which we often use here, it says, do not judge. It's coming, I promise. Do not judge. It's okay, I brought my Bible. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. The message, which is a paraphrase and not a translation, I really enjoy it, says don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Right? The funny thing about this verse is that it often comes to our lips in response to someone else's judgment of us, right? We make a judgment in our lives and say it's okay to do this, and then somebody judges our judgment, and we do the good Christian thing, and we respond by quoting scripture to them, like, you know, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge others. It's really quite laughable. Um, so it says, I've decided something is okay in my life. And you judge my judgment and tell me about it. And then I judge your judgment of my judgment and get offended by it. And so I tell you that your judgment of my judgment is not okay. And I'm going to tell you what Jesus says about it, right? This is crazy. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. I think it's laughable. One of my favorite phrases um, or paraphrases of this verse is, you're not my judge. Anybody said that? Anybody say it today? You're not my judge. When we say that, what we're actually doing is we're judging the quality and caliber of the person and deeming them unworthy to judge us, right? But friends, we judge constantly, okay? We judge constantly. And I think it's okay in some aspects. The, the Greek word in the original text that is translated in Matthew 7, verse 1, into judge is the word krino. Everyone say krino. Crino, right? Crino translates into judge or judged. And um, just like in English, the Greek is the same, it has multiple meanings. And the positive side of judging, the positive side in the definition of judging, or the word crino, is this idea of, um, of analysis or evaluation, right? And we do it all the time. And I think it's okay, like, um, you know, I'm not gonna jump out of that airplane without a parachute because my judgment tells me that's a bad idea, right? Or if you're like me, I'm not gonna eat that hot dog that's been on the roller at the gas station all day long because I don't think it's safe for me to take into my body, but you know, hey, you be the judge of that, right? So there's a, there's a positive side to this idea of judging, and this word crino that Jesus, that Jesus says, but this is not the side of the word that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. Because just like any coin, there's two sides to a coin, right? And while the positive side of, of judgment is helpful in our lives often, it is the negative side of judgment that Jesus is talking about, and that's this idea of condemnation, to condemn, right? To condemn or to, to look at someone and say that they are not worthy, right? 
Now, we as good Christian people know that we are called to be open and loving and accepting of all people. You know, one of the United Methodist slogans is, you know, open hearts, open minds, open doors, right? And we're supposed to love all people. But the reality, and I think you would agree with me, is that sometimes, sometimes, we good people of faith get it wrong, right? We get it wrong sometimes. So here's my question today, rhetorical question. Have you ever felt judged? Have you ever felt judged? Have you ever caught yourself judging someone else? Let's pause for a minute and watch this video. When I gave my life to the Lord, I was a stripper, and I um, made a decision to completely change my life. I had no idea where to go to church, what to do, how to dress, and one day I was sitting out at a coffee shop, and some girls were walking around, and they were telling everybody about their church. Well, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to tell me where I can go. Maybe they'll be my friends. And instead, um, they took one look at me and the way I was dressed and how I looked and gave me a dirty look and passed me over. I was going into fourth grade, um, and that summer my parents sat me down and told me that uh, they were getting a divorce. And uh, I remember being blown away by that. And then uh, on top of that, we showed up at church over the next few weeks and I just remember feeling this, uh, this difference there that we weren't <laughs> supposed to be there. Like, you know, we had divorce slapped around uh, our chest. And for me, it, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I trusted Christ when I was in high school. Um, decided to go to Bible college so I could figure out uh, some of the answers to my questions as far as the Bible and God and making that work practically. During my senior year, I really felt like instead of getting answers and getting help with some of my questions, I got rejected uh, in so much as even the college president uh, calling me out in one of the classes and basically saying, if you just, you know, if you still have questions this late in the game, you just don't get it. I grew up in a church for 20 years, and when I went to college, I made a few mistakes and got pregnant out of wedlock. I knew there would be trouble, I knew there would be gossip but I never expected a phone call from the pastor asking me to resign my membership. Well, for the first time in my life, I was really coming back to God. I was trying to, to really reconnect with Him, and my life was a mess. I was going through a divorce, I was in debt, I didn't have any friends, and so I actually wrote a letter to a friend of mine that I knew from high school. I knew that she was a pretty strong Christian, and um, I thought maybe we could start up a friendship. So I sent her a letter, and a couple weeks later, I, I got a package back in the mail, and. I opened it up and there was no letter, it was just a pamphlet on why divorce is a sin. Well, I struggled with uh, same-sex attraction all my life and uh, being a Christian and brought up in a Christian home, Christian school, I had difficulties dealing with it and uh, went to my pastor because I knew there was some kind of issue with me and that I had some problems and instead of receiving uh, spiritual guidance, I received, uh, you know, hatred and I was condemned, and uh, I was asked to leave the church. There came a point in my marriage where things got really rocky. I made a decision to 
trust the people at the church and start telling them about what was happening. Um, and I expected them to, to try and understand. I expected them to help to accept us broken like we were, but instead they judged us, they judged me, they blamed me. It was definitely not okay to not be okay. I was five years old, I was going to Sunday school and I seen the statue of Jesus and I knew my grandmother would really like it, so I took it from the church and gave it to my grandmother. The next Sunday, whenever I went back to church, the preacher took me aside and told me I was gonna go to hell for stealing. And uh, it really scared me and that really turned me off and I asked my mom if I had to go to church anymore and she said not if I didn't want to, so I stayed away from church for 31 years. And I pretty much went to hell for the next 31 years. It made me feel rejected. I was totally crushed. To this day, it affects my family. What good did that do anybody? God forgave me, but the church couldn't. I wish he would have treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. We need to be examples and not tell people what they have to do or what they should do, but just show them what we do. So have you ever felt rejected, <clears throat> crushed, shunned, hurt? cast aside or unloved? Have you ever felt judged? If that's you today, please hear me. It is okay to not be okay. It is okay to not be okay because if we are honest with ourselves, none of us are okay. None of us are okay. And that's one of the reasons why we are here because when we come together in this place and we come before God and worship, we have the opportunity to lay down our shame, our sorrow, our suffering, those things, those mistakes that we have made, we can lay them at the feet of Christ. And when we do, we, Christ offers us something new. He offers us hope. He offers us forgiveness and mercy and understanding and rest and purpose and comfort. These are some of the things that Jesus offers us. It is okay to not be okay. One of the most commonly, well, maybe not commonly used scriptures, I would say one of the most noted passages in the gospel accounts is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if, if you're wondering why they call it the Sermon on the Mount, it's because he's on a mountainside preaching. It's pretty complicated. But for three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is sitting on a hillside preaching and teaching to the disciples and the crowd that's listening in. And Jesus starts with these beatitudes is what we call it, and, and they're the blessed are statements, right? Blessed are the, and then there's a whole list of them. But Jesus goes on and he teaches about salt and light, about the law, about anger and adultery and divorce, and about vows and revenge and, and, love, revenge and love of enemies, um, generosity to the needy, prayer, fasting, money and possessions, the golden rule, and what it means to be a true disciple. And if we were, as a church, to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount, we could spend a year going deep into all of the teachings that Jesus teaches. But we're not gonna do that today, I promise. We are gonna start in the latter part of this teaching because as Jesus is teaching to his disciples on the side of this hill, he finally gets to this one thing that's, that we 
our reading about today, this judgment. And he starts teaching on judgment in chapter seven, verse one. And so we're gonna put it up here on the screen and we're gonna read through it together and I would like to remind you, as you see those red words and the underlined words, these are the words that I would like you to read out loud with me. So from Matthew chapter one, starting at chapter seven, verse one, we find this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. You know, we've heard this verse many times before, but have you ever realized that Jesus is already contradicting himself? He is. If you look at this, verse one, he says, don't judge others. But when you get into verse two, he says, the standard you use in judging, which implies that we're supposed to judge, but maybe to this particular standard. So let me just take a quick poll. How many of you, show of hands, believe that Jesus is saying unilaterally don't judge? How many believe that Jesus may be saying maybe we're supposed to judge in a particular way? How many of you have done this before and you know you're supposed to say, I don't know right now? <laughs> and how many um, just don't care? Some honest people, no? Okay. Jesus says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. And when he says this, he is very specific. He's talking about this condemnation idea, not the evaluative idea or concept of discernment. He's talking about condemnation, judging someone as being unworthy. And he's pretty specific. In English, he says, do not. Roughly translated from the Greek, he says, do not. Yeah, sometimes Greek's pretty easy. Jesus is talking in an absolute. He's pretty much saying, don't judge people at all. Don't judge them at all. But what's interesting about the syntax of it is he's talking in the plural. He says, don't judge others, plural. Let's put this up real quick again. And we'll read it a little bit. In verse two, he says, for, the, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So Jesus in the first line is saying, don't judge other people, plural, at all, right? But in the next line, he's talking about the standard of judgment that we do use, which is kind of crazy, if you ask me, because he's talking in two different directions. But we have to remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking more about this coming kingdom of God that, that is being ushered in and less about how we're supposed to interact with each other. So when he says, do not judge, he's talking about this kingdom of God that's coming, and, and when we live in this kingdom of God, we cannot judge because we're not the judge, right? It's not our responsibility to judge. And this idea of the standard is saying that the way that you judge other people is gonna be the way that God's gonna judge you in the end. And so if you, if we today wanna judge a group of people, right, plural, people, a group of people by their belief system, Jesus is saying that in the end and when this kingdom comes and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, when that happens, you're gonna be judged by your belief system. Now I'm pretty confident in my faith most of the time, but I got a question, are you 100%? Are you 100%? Because the standard you use to judge is, is what, how you're gonna be judged. You see, what happens when we judge people often is we judge people based on our self-perceived ability, right? I am better than they are. My family works better than their family. My kids are better than their kids. Or, you know, we have the nuclear family and they don't, and so we're better. I do my job better than my coworkers. I'm not saying that, Pastor Rod, wherever you are. I didn't mean that. But that's what we do. 
We judge people based on our own perceived ability. But here's the thing, here's the kicker. Jesus says that our, the standard we use will be the standard we're judged by. So if I'm judging people by my ability, God's gonna judge me by his ability, and I guarantee you, we are all gonna come up lacking when we're placed up against God's ability in the end. So, in one line, Jesus says no judging at all, so those who you raised your hand are right, and in the other line, he says there's a way we're supposed to judge, so the rest of you who raised your hand, you're right too, and we're gonna explore how. So, we're gonna move on, because this, this passage that Jesus gives takes a wicked twist, um, and so we're gonna, we're gonna go, uh, that's a theological term, wicked twist. Um, you can write that in your notes. But in verse three, we find this. And why worry about the speck in your own eyes when you have a log in your own, sorry, a speck in your friend's eye, when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, oh come on, exclamation point people, hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Friends, do you realize how funny this is? Like, Jesus is not commonly known as a comedian, but this is really funny, and, and even if you like to read it in the Greek, it's funny in the Greek, too. Jesus is giving an example that should make us laugh. It's, it's like this. He's going, come on, guys. You're all like, hey, you got a speck of dust in your eye, right? And who can look at this? and not laugh, right? This is ridiculous, this is comical, this is funny. So why don't we laugh? You know, one of the reasons why it's hard to laugh at this joke that Jesus tells is because it ceases to be funny when we realize that Jesus is talking about us. You ever get caught in that joke where at first, this is really funny, but then you realize that the joke is on you and the bottom falls out. This is the kind of joke that Jesus is telling. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. I can't tell you how many times I have had people say to me, Tim, I am tired of the hypocrisy of the church. And I shamefully admit to you that I am that guy who stands there and says, where else do you want the hypocrites to go? <laughs> right? Or, or um, there's always room for one more. But we miss the point. We miss the point because it's one thing to say that there is hypocrisy in the church and there is another to not do something about it. It's another thing altogether to see a problem and not rectify it. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you will. You're at your favorite diner, okay? You're at your favorite diner, and at your favorite diner, um, like me and my favorite diner, there's, uh, there's homemade bread, 
right? Every, every time you go, they give you this homemade bread. Not only is there homemade bread, but there's honey butter, right? So we're, we're in the diner, and you're sitting by yourself because it's been one of those days, and you're, you're sitting in the booth, and you're cutting that, that fresh loaf of bread, and you're getting ready to butter it. And then over in this table, like right next to you, kind of kitty corner to you, is this, this guy who's dressed in this nice, nice outfit. He's got this, the tie and the, and the nice shirt and the pressed pants, right? And um, but he's like going to town on this meatball sub. All right. And when I mean going to town on this meatball sub, I'm talking like George Costanza eating ice cream in Seinfeld, like going to town on this thing. And the marinara sauce is all over his face and it's like on his tie and he takes his tie and he's kind of wiping it up and, there's, and a meatball falls out of the sub and it rolls on his shirt and it gets on his pressed pants and it rolls across the floor and it almost hits your foot, like kind of going to town on this meatball sub, right? And as you're buttering your fresh bread with your honey butter, you're getting ready to take a bite and you're distracted, you drop your bread. And you have that moment, 50-50 chance. Is it gonna be savable, right? And it lands on your arm, okay? And you look down, butter up, yeah, yeah. You pick it up and you start eating your bread and, and you don't think anything of it. But then all of a sudden this marinara guy starts standing up and his, at his table and starts screaming at you. He says, stop, stop, you have a crumb of bread on your arm. And you look at this guy who's covered in marinara sauce. What do you think about him in that moment? Do you care about the breadcrumb that just fell off your shirt at all? What is your first response? Do you even take him seriously? Are you listening or are you laughing at him? Friends, this is what Jesus is talking about and what it looks like when we start judging other people. This is the image that he paints. I'm gonna take a little bit farther. Show of hands. How many of you here would be willing today to tell a teenager that they shouldn't look at pornography? If you didn't raise your hand, we can talk after church, okay? I think that unilaterally we would all say that that is something that's not, we shouldn't be doing, right? Last night I was, I was reading a recent study by the Proven Men Ministries that said that eight out of 10 men between the age of 18 and 30 view, view pornography weekly or monthly. Six out of 10 men between 31 and 49 do monthly and five out of 10 men between 50 and 68 view it monthly. And that's not counting teenagers and women who are also in the study, but I'm not gonna go there. My point is that we are very good at identifying things that we say we shouldn't do, and we're willing to tell people about it, even if it doesn't play out that way in our life. Now, I'm not condemning anyone. I am not judging anyone. What I'm saying is that we have become consumed by this idea that we tell our children to do what I say, but not what I do. Hypocrites. But there's hope. There is hope. There's hope for those of us who have this deal going on in our lives, right? And there's hope for those of us who have this going on in our lives. 
There's a toothpick. I couldn't come up with sawdust this morning. I'm sorry. There's hope for both. Because Christ offers us something new, something different, a new way, a new model. He offers us this hope, this peace, this comfort, this forgiveness, this mercy. The Apostle Paul says it a little different. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says in relationship to our new life with Christ that this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Friends, what this means to us in our life is if this is you here with this in your eye or this is you here with this in your eye, that when we come into the relationship with Christ and we come into the presence of a loving and forgiving God, that things change. And instead of being stuck like this with Christ, there's new life. The things that we did in our past, our failures, our decisions, or even our indecisions that plague us don't have to follow us anymore because we are made new and alive in Christ in a new way. And when that happens, we have the opportunity to walk forward being perfected in this way of love where we love God fully and we love our neighbor fully and we stop doing this. We stop saying, you got something wrong with you. Because the model that Jesus gives us here in verses three through five is that we're not supposed to do this, we're supposed to do this. And so that when we see things that we judge like that's not right, we're not supposed to be like that, we're not supposed to do it like that, instead of going like this, Jesus says, turn it around. Rob told me this morning that his, his dad or grandpa used to say, remember when you point your finger this way, you've got three more coming at you, right there. I thought that was really good, and I stole it. Jesus says that if we're going to live into this coming kingdom, if we're going to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God and we're gonna live into the fullness of life, when Jesus said in John 10, 10, he says, I came for life and life abundant. If we want that kind of life, we have to start our judgments by looking first at ourselves. How am I doing in that area? How am I doing when it comes to pride? When I see someone who is envying or envious of something else, instead of calling them out on it, how am I doing with my envy? Because we all aren't okay in our lives. Paul says in Romans, for we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all have a long way to go. But what Paul, or what Jesus is saying here is that we have the opportunity to walk with people, not in judgment, but in self-reflection. And as we reflect on ourselves and how we have failed and how we have not fully lived into our life, we can walk alongside others who are struggling in a similar way. This is what Jesus talks about when he talks about judging. The judgment starts with self-realization. at some point in our lives, in each of our lives. 
is my prayer that each of us comes to this point where we realize that Jesus died for us individually and that we can be made new in Christ. And the burdens of our past don't have to weigh us down. And instead of judging other people, we begin to love other people in a whole way, in a way that speaks peace and love and openness. At the end of the video, there was one voice that said these words. We have to be examples, not tell people what they have to do or should do, but just show them what we do. Show them what to do, what we do. So I wanna ask you, how do you show people what it means to be a person of faith? How do you show people, how do you walk the walk in this life? Which way does your finger point? Let's pray together, shall we? God of all grace and God of all love, Sometimes we are quick to point our finger at another. We forget that you sent your son Jesus to die for them as well as for us. Holy God, we know that you are not only a God of forgiveness, but that you are a God that changes lives. Change us today, Lord, from the inside out so that we would be made new, new in you this day. Let it be so, and amen.